Hello, church family, and Merry Christmas. As you know, Christmas is not just one day on the 25th. Uh, it is actually 12 full days that we set aside to celebrate the incarnation. Um, and so I really hope that Christmas Day itself was a really wonderful one for you and your family and that you were able to get some rest and enjoy uh, people that you love. Um, and let's continue to worship together today, even in our just in our own time, in our own homes, celebrating the incarnation. Uh, we know this past year has been a really difficult year for all of us. And so what we wanted to do on this last Sunday of the calendar year is just to give some time to hear from our own people, from our own leaders and our own covenant partners. Um, I, I love what um, it says in Revelation 12, um, a passage that we looked at just a couple of weeks ago, where it says of the saints, they overcame the evil one by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And I love that it says that, that one of the ways that we overcome uh, Satan, obviously, is through Jesus and his blood. But another way is through hearing the word, hearing the testimony from our fellow saints. That when we hear about God's faithfulness and goodness, and we hear about promises kept and claimed in the lives of our fellow brothers and sisters, then our own faith is strengthened, and our own hope and our own courage uh, is made stronger. And so today we're going to get to hear from, from three leaders in our church. We're going to hear from um, Dr. Mike Murchie and uh, Nan Clark and Lasuela Donaldson. Um, all three are leaders in various areas in our church, and we'll, we'll be hearing from them about what have been some of the struggles for them this past year in 2020 and how they have drawn on their faith and drawn on the promises of God in Christ for them to help them overcome uh, and to endure patiently through all the trials that they face. So, so let's, um, let's ready to, to hear God's word um, spoken through these saints and ask that God would strengthen your faith in the process. So let's listen. Hello, third family. My name's Mike Marchi. It's good to be with you. My wife, Missy, and I have four kids that you all have loved so well over so many years. Um, by profession, I'm a doctor. In that role, I do things like adjusting powerful Blood medicines are blood-thinning medicines like Coumadin without much, if any, anxiety. But doing what I'm doing right now, speaking in the setting, is honestly a little bit terrifying to me. So appreciate your, your grace with me if I'm clutching my notes. Um, but know that the words I'm speaking are from my heart. Two years ago, the emotional pressures of family and career were becoming more than I could handle. Implementing Christian principles didn't help me like it usually did. I had fallen away from abiding in Jesus for the problems that I was facing and working with him relationally. I was dealing with high levels of anxiety that were spiraling out of control. I was frustrated with my inability to fix it all. Thankfully, I didn't have a complete breakdown, but looking back, I suspect I might have been close. After meeting with Corey, talking and praying with Missy, as well as my brother Peter, God used a verse and two weekly routines to help me begin to heal. The verse is simple. Trust in the Lord at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. I began pouring out my frustration, anger, fearing, fear, and feelings of being overwhelmed to Jesus in writing, doing journaling every Sunday morning from 6 to 7 at Einstein's or country-style notes. Soon after that, I began meeting weekly at 5.30 a.m. with two of my closest brothers in Christ, Rob and Greg. Pouring out my heart to God, my refuge at all times, was becoming my anthem as my stressors rose, God reminded me that scriptures show that he himself has all sorts of emotions. Thus, emotions are part of his good and perfect plan for me. 
His understanding and his arms are big enough for it all. He wants to hear it, even when my emotions are ridiculous um, or selfish or sinful. He is a good father that loves, loves me and wants to hear me, hear me speak to him. He wants to reassure me with his love. I look forward to Sundays at 6 a.m. I also th- think knowing God's patient ear with my emotions, I hope, has helped me affirm and deeply value and resist the urge to rush others through their emotions, especially my wife, my children, my coworkers, and my patients. I am glad to have started learning the joy of pouring my heart out to God at all times prior to the turmoil of 2020. At home, while we are blessed in so many ways, in other ways, it has been extremely hard for each one of us. I'm sure all of you can relate. Um, we, we began with the year with four kids in public school. We ended the year, or now we have two in private, one in public, and one homeschooled. Um, hard, hard-earned roles in theater productions, eighth grade middle school basketball season, Ninja Warrior Regionals, all these things were canceled, just to name a few. Worst for the kids was the disconnection from friends that they began to feel. I've worked long hours. I've been more irritable. When I'm home, I haven't always engaged with the kids or with Missy like I would have liked. Um, Missy has, with her typical grace and strength, bore the emotional weight of it all for much of us, even while she was starting a part-time job, homeschooling Gracie, and walking with two close friends through some unspeakable tragedies over the last, last few months. Meanwhile, Missy herself has, has, less, has had less opportunity to connect deeply and receive support from friends due to the pandemic. My work has also been a challenge for myself and our family. The long hours um, that I mentioned, also um, the type of work I do, I'm a doctor at Crossover Healthcare Ministry. I'm the medical director there. We run two clinics in Richmond, Virginia that provide comprehensive healthcare to people living in poverty. In addition to the immense leadership, safety, and staffing challenges we faced when the pandemic hit, we also knew that the wonderful people that we serve were likely to be hit the hardest. Unfortunately, this has proven true. Our patient population of 6,000 low-income individuals and families who mostly live in high-density housing units with multi-generations, working jobs where they can't telework, don't have sick pay, where English speaking and literacy is low, and where a high percentage have chronic disease, these were the ingredients for quite an outbreak in Richmond um, for, for the populations that we serve. During this time, I've had the privilege to learn from and be amazed by the way many of the people we serve at Crossover process their emotions in spite of the disparities that I've just highlighted and that the pandemic has highlighted. First, they don't spend as much time trying to figure out why me or why, as I might. Suffering isn't new or a surprise to them. They're used to surviving day to day, moment to moment. They know how to rely on their tight-knit community. They skillfully weep with others who weep because they've been there. They rejoice vibrantly with others because their hope is bent heavenward, not on earthly circumstances or getting back to the earthly circumstances that they miss. They could be saying, this isn't fair, plenty of times, but I have yet to hear it. It is important to say here that the disparities displayed by the pandemic are unjust and unfair. They're not from God. The Bible tells us over and over how the unequal opportunities and oppression of the poor grieve and anger God. This is not how it should be. I guess that leads to the second thing I've been humbled by through the example of those we serve. They've been incredibly gracious towards my slowness in understanding and acknowledging how the systemic sins of the world deepen their struggle. 
Micah 6, 8 calls us to justice and mercy. Over the years, I've poured out plenty of mercy. However, due to pride and inconvenience, I have not let my emotions out over injustices that many are born into in this life. I've turned a blind eye to the unearned social advantage that I have and that those that I serve don't have. It took 11 years of pandemic, racial unrest for me to get myself emotionally to tears and to anger and to have a voice willing to speak up about the sinful injustices that are often the root causes of the wounds that I'm seeking to bandage. In closing, I'd like to share where I am pouring my heart out to God for our church of late. As I've shared, I've been blessed through my vocation to learn and be challenged and refined by brothers in Christ in different circumstances, people that I have very little in common with, to be honest. How tragic is it that the American church and our church doesn't provide the same opportunity to all believers? Our knowledge of the full beauty of Jesus is so limited by lack of relational connectedness with people that are different. Our growth in Jesus is at best stunted and at worst constricted by barriers to biblical diversity within our church and within the church. Our ability to weep for each other is limited. Our ability to rejoice in the hope of heaven together is muted. I pray that our church will take urgent, prayer-filled action steps towards being more welcoming within our walls to people that are different that we would become more relationally connected to other churches that look different than our own, that we wouldn't be content to wait until Jesus comes again to cry together, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Amen. Hi, friends. It's so good to be here today to talk to you about um, what God has shown me this year in 2020. Um, I've been reading through the Bible often. <laughs> and um, sometimes when I read through the Bible, I like to just take a look at my Bible and I like to uh, just look at the verses that I've highlighted. And so recently I've been going through the book of Luke. And um, when I thought about what Corey asked me about the things that I've been learning in 2020, especially with conflict, uh, with the sickness in the United States, um, with the racial divide and even with everything that's been happening at Third Church. This passage really spoke volumes to me and I just wanted to share it with you. And so the passage says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And that, if that is how God clothed the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink, for... The pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. And so when I looked at that passage, one verse that really stuck out to me was at the very beginning, which says, um, Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? 
And there's um, at the bottom of the page, it says, or a single cubit of his height. And this passage says, that's just a little thing for the Lord. But when I think about it, it's a huge thing for me. But it's not for me to worry about because I don't have any control or anything like that over it. And so as I um, was thinking about this year and I thought about all the things that I was worrying about, all the things that brought fear upon me, and one of the the things that um, came to mind and that was very concerning for me is just the divide of the church and um, just as we have faced a lot of uh, racial issues here in the United States and how it has spilled over or I would say came out in the church and how we as the body of the church are dealing with it and how it has created a lot of uh, disunity. So while in conversation with friends um, and family on multiple occasions, I really experienced like the transformation of my mind and thoughts about um, what God is calling me to do. And it is in through those conversations that I began to see um, my heart change about my approach and figuring out and realizing that it is not me who should try to change the opinions of other folks. Like that's not my my job, but that's the Lord's job. What my job is, is to um, not be silent about race issues, about the impact of it on the church and the impact of it in my life. Um, to have those um, conversations that are really tough and difficult and to really... Um, share my experience. And also, I do realize and understand that people really want to be heard. Like they want people um, to understand um, their feelings and understand why they think the way they think. Um, because we all have different experiences and our, the way we see things is based on um, what we've grown up with and the relationships that we've had. I feel like that's been my role, to have those conversations. And also, I think it's really important um, for me to just continue to focus on relationships because in those relationships is where things change and where people change. And so that really brings me back to that virus. And it says, since I cannot change this very little thing, why do I worry about the rest? And so I know I'm not called to worry, but I'm called to to play my part and um, to be in relationships with folks and um, to talk about race, to talk about diversity. That's been a few of the things that I've learned this year with regards to um, not living in fear, with regards to allowing God to use me in a way that He has called me um, and to continue to be in relationships with folks regardless of what the circumstances are, regardless of what's happening in the outside world, but to really to, to hone in on my relationships with the folks and my friends and my family so that um, we can continue to grow and learn from one another. So that's my hope for Third Church. That's my hope for the relationships that I have here with folks, as well as outside the church, um, that we would um, keep Christ at the center and we would not walk in fear but we will seek God's kingdom first, and then all these other things will be added to us. Thank you. Good morning, Third Family. On this very unusual service, uh, the first Sunday after Christmas, 
We've made that turn from Advent waiting for the fulfillment of God's long-ago promises to exuberant celebration, and I trust that you have experienced much joy as you've celebrated the Savior's birth. But we know there's an unexpected twist in this story. Yes, Jesus is the Messiah, the world's true King. Yes, he's come to bring peace on earth. And yes, there is great joy in heaven and on earth. But our waiting does not end with Christmas. We continue to wait. And for me, this past year has been a constant reminder that we are awaiting people. We are waiting for the pandemic to be over, to be together with and embrace family and friends, to mourn with community the loss of so many loved ones, to worship together side by side without masks. We are waiting for jobs to come back and for financial health, for kids to be back in school. We are waiting for God's shalom in our families, in our communities, and in our city. Yes, we are a people who are waiting. And I think we've all cried out with the psalmists and the prophets of old, how long, O Lord, how long? Because they understood waiting, I have turned repeatedly to their writings over the course of this past year. They have been teaching me how to wait well, to wait with hope and to wait with joy, no matter how dark the circumstances. The psalmists and prophets waited in hope that God would deliver them, individually and corporately. Their hope was rooted in God's promises to rescue and deliver them. And they were, their hope was also rooted in God's faithfulness. So often in their writings, they reminded themselves of the way God had rescued them when things just seemed so dark and so hopeless. We stand on the other side of the fulfillment of God's promises to his people. In Jesus, God has begun his rescue mission. New creation has already broken into this world. But we wait for Jesus to return and make all things new. I'm so grateful for the series we've had this fall on Revelation. It's been a wonderful reminder to me that just as Jesus came the first time, as God had promised, so he will come again as he promised. The Apostle Peter calls this our living hope, and the writer of the Hebrews calls it a sure and steadfast anchor for our souls. I am learning to let that hope in Jesus shape the way I wait. Another thing I am learning from these ancient people is their ability to find joy, no matter how dark their circumstances. The prophet Habakkuk poetically describes the devastation of an enemy invasion. The land goes from being fruitful and productive to, to a barren waste. Yet, he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God is my strength. There is joy even in the darkness of waiting. One of the deepest joys that we've experienced over this past few months is 
meeting together each Sunday with our parish group as we've shaped a microchurch service in our backyard. We've known the joy of worshiping together and deepening our relationships, of praying together and bearing one another's burdens. But I think the greatest joy I've had is seeing the gifts of God's people flourish. We've all shared the teaching and the liturgy, and everyone has just flourished in their gifting, and it's been so joyful. Joy is a reminder for me of God's goodness and faithfulness, a sign of his presence that I have desperately needed and that keeps me from being overwhelmed by the darkness as I wait. As we continue to celebrate the birth of our Savior, a birth that makes hope and joy even possible, may we set our hearts to continue to wait in hope and with joy.